magical worlds with help from you, our listeners. I'm Rob Hilfity, and I'm here with Optio of Opining for a Day Where I Don't Give Him Titles, Chris Prunty, along with our continued special guest, Daniel Quinn. Gentlemen, how continues the quarantine? It goes well. I decided to live in my backyard now. (laughs) You're camping? Yeah. To to get some mm, semblance mm. of like, <laughs> oh, is is that kind of like a, a fantasy where you're like Bear Grylls, where you're like, oh, I'm separated from everyone. That's why no one's around and why I can't see everyone. Yes, I'm apocalypse because I'm isolated in the wilderness. Yeah, exactly. How goes your uh, bunker, by the way? Is that stocked up full of all sorts of canned goods yet? Or yep, it's got lots of cocaine and cotton candy, so I'm good. <laughs> Daniel, I, I understand that you were half of each of those things. And well, actually, no, <laughs> that's not true. You're a, a third of those things. And then a third of hot takes and bad opinions. That's the exactly. other third of you. Well, cultured so, opinions, you mean. I know what I it's said. mostly the cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm not sure where cultured opinion meets cocaine, but that's kind of where your <laughs> hey, hot all takes the great come cultured from. people did cocaine. Lots of it. I'd say Until most their hearts of them, not all of them. There, there's a couple <laughs> of ones who are kind of lame who still came up with good stuff. So it's true. There are some, some straight edge people in there. Yeah. But like weirdly so, you know, like where they're like yeah. milk and peppers vibe type thing. <laughs> yeah. Something uh, really gross. <laughs> anyway, on today's episode, we have a listener email that we're going to be getting to uh, from Daniel. Not, not this Daniel, not uh, cocaine Daniel, but uh, co- actually. Cotton Candy Cocaine Daniel sounds like a pretty Ooh. cool name. Yeah, It's like someone had a tiger cane. I know, right? Uh, so Daniel actually has a, a pretty interesting prompt. He's been listening to us for a little bit now. And Daniel says, I think a pitfall that a lot of novice world builders fall into is that every piece of technology in their world is something brought over from our world, like swords, wagons, trains, castles, lanterns, Knives, breads, guns, water wheels, irrigation, elevators, etc. While oftentimes it gives the setting familiarity, adding technology unique to your world can make it very interesting. I find that making the setting exotic by removing real-world technologies is a bad idea. You don't want your readers slash players assuming something exists when it doesn't. People often try to reconcile this with the use of Magitech. However, often Magitech is just using some magical object or energy as a power source and doesn't make the technology really unique. So my prompt is, what unique technologies that never developed in our world could exist in a fictional setting? These could be for food, transportation, communication, power supply, war, building, or any use of technology beyond language. So first of all, Daniel, thank you so much for sending in that email. That's actually a really interesting prompt. Uh, It was something that we have kind of touched upon here and there throughout our various series and whatnot, but I think we want to take this episode and talk about technology and how it relates to world building. And also, I think what, what, what might be fun is to try and apply it to some kind of a world that we've worked on previously. I mean, that is a very interesting question and also very difficult to answer. Uh, yeah, this I, is why we're probably just going to have this one episode where we're kind of fumbling <laughs> around trying to figure out how it relates. But I think that the reason we like this particular prompt so much is because of how open-ended it is yeah. and how, va- not vague, but it's it's broad, I think is 
what Chris said, and I, I think I like that a little bit more. And I mean, it, it poses a challenge that's tough because in a way he's asking, can you give me a technology that um, doesn't reflect assumptions from the real world? Um, which I think to your point that you we were talking about earlier, Rob, is like, that's really hard to do because we're human beings. Right. And it's, uh, I think Chris brought this up previously, but it's like trying to create something in a vacuum is remarkably difficult. Right. That's why I wanted to talk about technology in the sense of, how and why we use it and like what, how does technology arise, right? I find it from studying and also just in general that technology it basically boils down to necessity and resources, right? So what is, a, what is a need of the people who are using that technology and what is the resource in which they can manipulate said technology? I think a great example of this would, well, there's a number of great examples there's a few that I want to talk about. One comes from one of Daniel's favorite movies of all time. And uh, that movie is uh, Mad Max Fury Road. And, and one of the fascinating things about the technology in that movie is that it says a lot about the world building and vice versa, right? Like when you take a look at that movie, everything that is in that film is created from other parts. So it tells you, the resources that they have are scarce and thus they are forced to repurpose things continuously or from, you know, previously used pieces of technology, but they still have a lot of the contemporary needs that they would have. Another example comes from another of Daniel's favorite movies of all time, which is Pacific Rim, God damn uh, <laughs> which where you can see like it's, it's a little bit, okay, nothing about uh, Pacific Rim is subtle, but one tiny bit that I love about Pacific Rim is that you can see how these kaiju attacks have shaped the world. You're seeing that, you know, they're building massive walls in the bigger and bigger cities and they're becoming more and more cramped. And the necessity is, hey, we want to stay safe. And how do you stay safe? You get into smaller areas that are better protected. I think uh, Attack on Titan does this as well in a very similar way where you see how need kind of trumps everything else and then you go from there. But that's the main thing that I want to talk about is those two driving forces are really what push technology in unique settings. How it's kind of rooted um, in the, the the rise of technology is rooted in some kind of like um, extrapolation of like a human problem. Um, which is, you know, I guess brought about by that resource, you know, situation that you're talking about. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I want to say his name is Jared Diamond. He's the guy who wrote Guns, Germs, and Steel. Uh, he, he wrote an article a while back that was basically an argument for why we should have never gone past hunter-gatherers and how agriculture is one of the most devastating things to ever happen to humans in terms of, you know, uh, happiness because once we developed agriculture it was essentially okay we we can now create this kind of lifestyle where it's not about need anymore and so our lifestyle becomes more about well what do we want and that's where the existential dread comes in that's where uh you know it's it's simultaneously our ability to innovate but also our ability to uh become unhappy because of all sorts of various life factors Deep. Yeah, I know, right? It's depressing to think about. Yeah, it, it took me a moment of, oh, that's sad. But um, 
<laughs> yeah. But one of the other things that uh, I, I wanted to think about as far as uh, technology and not going into the realm of uh, Magitech or anything is how much of it has to be based in our... Because magic doesn't exist, but it is a force of nature or something in this world. So can it be manipulated by technology is, is a question. Like, can can you contain it can you make a box that it can go into and nullify kind of thing so is it a natural force or not yeah or like does it defy all logic and just exist into its own realm of like chaos and uh, supernatural or is there a little bit of a grounded thing there kind of like in a in the name of the wind it still had to have elements that it would be affected by like if you were making something hot, you had to draw that heat from somewhere. Yeah, you needed a conductor, like a source or something like that. Yeah, uh, I think that when it comes there, there I think there are two sources that I look to when I look at Magitech that I think do it really well. Uh, one is one is Avatar: The Last Airbender because again, it kind of breaks down what you know. There, there's the necessity in the in the resources thing, and then you look at how resources affect technology which is why you know you see something like technology advancing so fast is because you don't need you know you don't you don't need to develop a butane torch when you have people who can literally light fires with their fingertips and stuff like that so it's this dramatic speed up of what you would otherwise need and so you see that shortening of the time span because they have and i and the reason i bring this up of course is because I think magic should have a similar effect, right? Where you have magic, it should just be a shortcut to a lot of the mundane things that we experience and we do in relation to technology. Unless, of course, you have the thing where it's like Harry Dresden, where magic and technology do not mix. In fact, it's the opposite, where if you try and use a magic thing and technology, it busts the, ma you know, it busts up the technology, essentially. But... I think that is more of a conceit of the writing to explain away why magic and technology haven't kind of combined into the ultimate power source, you know? Like what I'm really attracted to in um, his question is how do we come up with technologies that don't have an obvious root, like in our own experience? And I think, so I, I was, when I, when I was thinking about his question, the answer I gave was really related to that. And I thought, well, what, like, and this is back, goes back to the point of when you're talking about magic and how, what purpose does it serve in a fiction? Um, for technology, when I think about what purpose does technology usually serve in the fiction, usually it, it has to do with breaking a rule that the status quo has established. So when the new technology comes into place, it lets us do something that we weren't able to do before. So like the relation in the real world is obvious, like, you know, cell phones let us talk over a long distance, cars let us travel faster than we could before. So they're breaking the rules that we had in place. So then if you're, if you're dealing with like a fantasy and I'm thinking back to like um, the, the Dale episode with the little Magitech landscape that we created there in the interview, um, you know, where you have magic that's kind of been released back into the world. Um, I was thinking, well, what's, what's, if I was going to design a technology for that setting, where magic now, um, you know, has become a principal part of their their reality. How could I how could I design in a way that he, that he's describing? So it's not just an evolution of you know like a, a lightsaber, right? It's just an evolution of a sword. 
or you know we don't want some kind of like two-way radio that's just like a magical version of that like in a crystal that's kind of what he's pointing at so I so I had to think back to like well what's the really weird stuff that I can remember and I remember I used to like read a lot of um like layman physics stuff so like one of my favorite writers is Michio Kaku who um I wrote hyperspace and there's a lot of crazy concepts in there about the real world that I had no idea were possible. So like one example of a technology I could think of if I was trying to imagine one that defies like the current rules, like one doesn't solve the problem we have is suppose you had something like, um, um, taking the two radio example, like an inverse ansible. So like an ansible is something that lets you communicate from long distance from like Ursula Gwynn stories. Well, suppose this Ansible lets you swap like sensory input, right? So one person who's holding it, um, the other person who's holding it, they're swapping sight, or they're swapping um, sound or swapping like smell. Um, and then, so that's something alien to our experience. We don't have a technology that necessarily does that. So then I thought, well, what's the, what's the, how do you tie that into the setting? So then the question would be like, well, maybe in the Dale Kings Mill setting that we made up, you know, those mage knights that have those swords have to be bonded together in some way. So maybe they're forced to swap senses. So now you have a purpose for a technology um, that's not really one that relates to the real world um, in a way that we're used to, even though it's possible to, you know, through like virtual reality kind of swap senses even now. Um, so I think that's the direction you have to go. You have to go with something really odd, uh, but it's still at the end of the day rooted in the setting that it came from. Yeah, and, and one thing that I did want to talk about as well is this goes back to my main thesis of necessity, right? Where you think about what makes your setting unique. And let, let's say, for example, you have a, a, a setting wherein you have cities that are on the, beast, on the backs of giant beasts, right? Mm -hmm. You have to think about how tech, what technology those types of people would need. You know, when you think about that type of technology, okay, they're going to need harnesses and straps and their engineering and their architecture is going to be so much different because there needs to be some wiggle room, right? You yeah. Have to the flexibility uh, for movement. Exactly. And mm -hmm. that's not something that we necessarily have to think about, you know, outside of, outside of like, you know, uh, earthquake ridden areas and whatnot. But I think that's the type of line of questioning that you have to have is what is unique about the setting and then what is the unique problem that you would have that uh, that comes with that setting? And then how does technology fix that problem? Right. How does it break the, how does it break the rule? Or to go back to like um, like Chris's point about precursors, like what what starts it in the first place? Yeah. And and I think that what's fascinating to me, right, is there when you think about technology, it's basically the same idea over and over and over and better and better and better. When you think about how technology has advanced, you have a spear going to a bow and arrow, going to a crossbow, going to a rifle, going to a machine gun, except, you know, if you want to follow that Sid Meier's Civ 6 tech tree all the way down, you see that like it's all serving the same function for the most part. You mm. want something that is sharp and pointy going into the live thing to make it dead. And then you, and I feel like you can do that with technology forward and back, right? It's, it's the same problem anyway. You want something alive that is dead. Let's go ahead and figure out how we can make it dead. And, you know, you go from there, basically. That is actually a, a very unique point that uh, 
makes me think of uh, what they usually call uh, things like weapons and everything is just force multipliers. So mm-hmm. what yeah. if there was a being of technology that kind of worked in place of like a force multi- multiplier, something that refines the magic as you're sending it out so you don't have to be as skilled in it? Oh, so we're going back to the Magitech thing where you want to talk about how technology and magic can blend together. But it's not necessarily Magitech because it's not something that's uh, using magic. It's brute forcing it. Like it's an alloy that's strong enough to withstand a fireball. So you're shooting it through there to kind of make your hand into a blunter bust kind of thing. Or or even, yeah, yeah, you're essentially, or, okay, this is going to be a weird poll, but it's kind of how like in uh, My Hero Academia, They have the people who have magic powers for all intents and purposes, right? Where they're mutants for, for all intents and purposes. And then you have the people who are like, Oh, you have this weird mutant power. Cool. I'm going to create a harness that allows you to focus that in a better way. You know, like, again, it comes down to need resources and then like application. So so it sounds like we, we've found some principles here. Like we, it seems clear that whatever technology you invent for a fiction it has to be rooted in some cultural need, right? For for the society that uses it, because at the end of the day, the technology is a tool. Um, yes. The rule, the principle, the principle I would add is it should, for the sake of the fiction, break the status quo in some way. And so, you like, what other love rules could we shit, have? Daniel. Yeah, I know it's got to break the rules in some way. So then, what other what other rules could we add? Well, I mean, does it have to break the rule, or does it have to just make it, it has easier to break the to status quo? I'd say. How do you mean? Explain that. Yeah. So, like, it, the invention of the car broke the status quo of horses. Uh, <laughs> well, no, it broke the status quo of communication in a way, like, and and society in a whole bunch of ways, right? Like, now you can traverse massive distances, which opens up, you know, trade and and um, you know the exchange of ideas in ways that weren't possible before. So, it didn't break the rules. It's not like suddenly you know, we could teleport, I guess that wouldn't be the same, but it's, it's not like the way that we move is different. Um, that's probably the wrong way to say it too. <laughs> it's, it's not like having a faster mode of travel changes the very concept of travel, but it definitely changes the status quo for travel because now it's accelerated tremendously. It disrupts conventions. Like uh, yeah. think of smart devices. A few, 10 years ago, people weren't using their phones for as much as they are now. And now it's kind of like seeing if if you don't have a phone, it's just like, what I I don't have a phone. I can't do all of these things that are so impactful in my life. Exactly. So, so maybe another way of phrasing it is that it should, if in order for the technology, for the sake of the fiction to be interesting, you know, as part of the fiction, it has to introduce some kind of radical change, you know, like otherwise it's just another cell phone, which I think is getting to the point of this question. Like, if you're just going to bring lanterns over, you know, or, or light bulbs over into your fantasy world, what does that do for the fiction? Nothing really. You've got to introduce a technology that really changes things in some way. I, I think that you've encapsulated what is so fascinating about in technology perfectly when you say it has to bring about radical change. Yeah, right? that's what I mean. Technology exists specifically for that reason, other than, you know, solving a problem creating change and what does that mean like i i brought up jared diamond earlier right the invention of agriculture sparked a revolution in the lifestyle that humans have yeah so it's that that type of radical change literally changes the course of history the invention Mm -hmm. of gunpowder the invention of 
you know, telecommunications, whatever they may be, changes the world fundamentally in some way. And I find that to be really fascinating. Like I'm, I'm getting very excited just thinking about, you know, like the applications of that. And, and, and to go back to my previous point, like you, I think that when you take a look at your setting and you take a look at what's unique, mm-hmm. I think that when you add technology to the mix, figuring out that radical change that you're talking about is like the key to making that world even more livable, even more real is figuring out the technology that changed the world. And the reason why, like, I think we're drawn always, I'm gravitate towards the, the Kingsmill um, setting we made up is because the whole thing is, is based on this magic kind of getting spilled back into the world. And so if that magic functions in a, in a kind of way of introducing radical change in that setting, it's, it has a kind of technological effect, even though it's magic, right? So it's like what what effect what effects would it have is what would make the story interesting if you're going to explore that setting. Yeah, actually going back to that setting, I'm I'm thinking about a little bit more now, right? The the cuz the event was the magic gets released back into the world, mm-hmm. but let's think about the other event that allowed that to happen in the first place, which is the world-changing event that is collecting the magic and and focusing it into the crystals to begin with, yeah. right? Right. That's the other, because that's the yin to the yang in that sense, where it's a matter of... It made a scarcity, basically. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. that's awesome. Now, to kind of get away from that for a little bit, there is one other thing that I want to talk about briefly, which is we, we've talked about technology and we've talked about like the purpose of it and how to integrate it and everything like that. One other thing that I really wanted to talk about was lost technology or... Uh, the technology that could have been, right? When when you look in a steampunk world, what's one of the dead giveaways besides all the gears? It's the use of dirigibles, right? <laughs> it's it's the use of certain technologies that are, you know, for whatever world, for, for whatever reason, in our world, they did not t- turn out okay. They, they got shunned by the public, even though, you, you know, there, there's the whole thing where Betamax is, very clearly a better product than VHS, but for various sultry reasons, people went with with VHS as the primary platform, that type of thing. And, and I'm sure the, that the various sultry reason being pornography, I think is what you're hinting at yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes. It's, it's the pornography industry decided to go VHS over Betamax. <laughs> my, my point being, of course, is that we can talk about different types of technology that, you know, like, there's a, there are fracture points. There are splinter points where, okay, technology died off here, but it could have gone if it had the right support, that type of thing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and what, what are the motives and the reasonings behind those splinter points, I think is another important aspect to think about because you want to talk about the cultural and in some cases, religious aspects that affect technology and not just necessarily cultural or re- religious, but what are the overall aspects that affect technology? I mean, that raises the question because the dirigibles, as an example, like they don't f- serve any actual utility purpose in those steampunk stories. I mean, yeah, they're methods of traveling through the air, but with the technology they have at that, that, in that kind of level, they wouldn't need dirigibles. They're like not very efficient. Right. So then there must be something else going on in that fiction in the sense that like they, chose dirigibles because they represent something culturally or there's something retro about it 
that adds to the setting? Well, I think for from my experience anyway, like imagine instead if we got rid of steamboats and ships as mass transportation and mm-hmm. instead went with, you know, a better, safer, faster air travel with, you know, dirigibles. Like if, if the Hindenburg didn't happen, where would we be right now? Would would that fracture point still be there or would we still recognize eventually like, oh, this is not an efficient technology or is it a matter of, oh, we now have better dirigibles. We now have better, you know, air travel. You know, that's the norm now. And how does that affect the history point where it's like, oh, yeah, because this happened, because this technology was invented, our world is entirely different now. Hmm. I'm picturing like air cruise ships right now. (laughs) Yeah. Instead of instead of exploring the Norwegian fjords from below looking up, imagine flying over them and seeing the majesty of it. Right. There was actually uh, one book that I read that it gave a very good explanation of why people wanted to use airships. I think it was called The Long Earth, but in theirs it was uh, a lot of uh, dimensional hopping, and you just didn't know what kind of terrain you would go into. But I realize in a lot of steampunk, they like to do it in like badlands and mountainous areas and areas where like even uh, a car, or at least the steam-powered version of a car would not fare too well because of the rough terrain. Yeah, I mean I think that's 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 really interesting. The other the other thing of course is you look at the tank, right? Where the tank the, the necessity was we got to get through that battlefield that is scoured with uh, barbed wire. How are we going to get through the barbed wire without shredding ourselves? Oh, we're going to build this thing that can just plow right through it. And I think that's that's essentially what you're talking about here, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that goes back to the first principle that the culture just needs to determine um, the nature of the technology. Right. How can we how can we play with that, though? That's kind of my idea, right? Like, how can we take a technology and then add it to two different cultures and then watch it splinter in, in terms of use and, and in terms of. But you could put it in two different settings. You could well, take it, a technology, a fictional one. I was going to say, is it lazy if you do, like, one that embraces technology, one that embraced more magic? Because that, that would be a clear split, but it seems, I don't know, a little bit lazy. I mean, it, it, it might be. I don't necessarily think it's lazy. I think it's because concepts are never lazy, right? It's the work that you do with them that's lazy after the fact. Because you mm-hmm. can take a really lame concept and make it super cool because you put in the effort and the time. So well, what's an example? Do let's start with a fictional technology, you know, like that that we all understand and try to drop it into multiple settings to see how the cultures might evolve or use it differently. Now when we say technology, are we talking about like do we want to make it a unique technology like a teleporter, or do we want to go with something simpler like a steam engine, for example? I'd say something that's weird, you know, that's that's that starts as unique to one setting but we're transplanting it. Like we're going to plant it in a different garden and see what happens to it. Okay. I've, I've got it because okay. it's one of my favorite sub genres. And that is the Mecca, which right, are, cool. you know, like yeah. giant robot, you know, you know, I love giant robots. So yes. let's, I do let's too, despite a... lies to the contrary. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, so let's take a mech 
and yeah. add it to several different genres, right? I mean, the obvious right. one is sci-fi or the obvious one is uh, a not too distant future, right? Mm-hmm. And Chris, why don't you come up with the genres that we're going to have to mix, mix these in with? A genre to put a mech into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So, <laughs> let we. What if we put it into an established world that there was just, uh, like, say, the orcs and Soromon, since they were working with technology a little bit. What if they somehow got around to building mechs in some way or another? So one's a classic fantasy. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if we're doing classics, then, you know, we have Lord of the Rings. Why don't we just do it with Star Wars next? You know, mm-hmm. although do they technically have mechs and are ATATs mechs? Yeah, I think they do. So we might want to pick a setting that's not sci-fi. Because <laughs> yeah, the technology a... comes from sci-fi. Hmm. So we so we have like um, maybe maybe something like um, like a, a horror genre, you know, could be one. Oh, you're talking about Cthulhu Wars? Because that's totally yeah, a thing. That could work. <laughs> Do they have mechs yeah. in Cthulhu Wars? Yeah. They, oh, no, is it... Or, or is it... Hold on. Is it Cthulhu Wars that I'm thinking of? Because there's definitely uh, a, a setting where people fight the released Eldritch Horrors with giant robots. Mm-hmm. That's a thing. That's an actual setting. It should be. So maybe yeah. we start with, with two, like horror and fantasy, right? So like no, the... the- why don't we start with Lord of the Rings? Because I feel like Chris is excited yeah. about that. Plus, I, I mean, feel like you can. I yeah. am, but you did get me a little bit that I'm now picturing like Iron Blooded Orphans and Cthulhu in the same setting, and that yeah, that excites me. That it's very exciting. Yeah, of course, it's amazing. But but let's let's talk about let's talk about Lord of the Rings though. Like, I feel like when you let's make it a mech, right? Like functionally a singular mech. Like, how does that change the world in Lord of the Rings? I mean, it would then give uh, pretty much the ability of an orc or even like a uh, human to have the strength and the ferocity of a uh, troll. All right. So you're you're taking regular you're taking regular soldiers. You're essentially evening the playing field between the Ents and the orcs essentially yeah I'm, I'm because i'm thinking about specifically the siege of isengard right well yeah isengard would be the place that it would be made in my opinion of course yeah and, and you see all right okay my brain is going straight to the movies where you go and you have that cool camera shot where it goes underground and next to the breeding pits is also like they're like welding together these giant mechs and that is <laughs> simultaneously the dumbest and coolest thing that I've ever seen and heard. And, uh, about. I'm, I'm just it, picturing it as a retake on the movie avatar of it. Just like the trees rise up. It just like, it's cool. We got saw blades. Oh, actually they, that works very well. Doesn't it? Yeah. Are they literal mechs? So this is the only problem I have with this is we're, we're literally transplanting one giant robot into another setting. Like what changes about the machine like itself? Like, is it still a machine? Because we know that it needs to serve as a way of putting little men into to make them more powerful. But, like, what can we transform about it since it's in a fantasy setting? Well, uh, in the... uh, Pushing up my glasses. uh, (laughs) They uh, word how the uh, orcs were made in that some see them as corrupted elves. Some of them see as uh, corruption of the earth itself. And that's why you see them, like, being grown in those pods. 
uh, I could see it maybe, what if you made the pod itself in part of the mech and you have this weird like orc yeah. embryo that is uh, having its nervous system attached to this now uh, stone and blood and uh, iron. There we go. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> <laughs> and a little bit of body horror because, you know, I got to go for that. So it's kind of like this, this reverse end, like an evil end. Oh, it's a corruption events, you know. That's that that plays to the uh, uh, Tolkien's love of corruption yeah. of things. Yeah, it's a literal seed of evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, that. but is that but but see, this is my this is kind of my question now, right? Is that the same technology, or is it the same function as that technology, but using a different aspect of the setting? You know, is is it a matter of that's just magic now as opposed to technology? Well, w- technology, though, like, the, so how are we defining technology? Like, we devise those three principles. It it has a cultural resource need, right? It it breaks a rule, and I assume it also has a utility. So, like, the, the okay, so so I so I would I would say like, yeah, it's it's essentially the same thing. We're just making it out of different Legos, you know. <laughs> Daniel, are you saying that magic and technology are the same thing? I'm saying they can serve the same purpose, depending maybe, on your goals in the fiction. Maybe a, any advanced form of technology is almost indistinguishable from magic. <laughs> you can go fuck right off. <laughs> I've I've never subscribed to that idea that you know, like what's the it's the bad Thor movie where Natalie Portman is like. Oh, what you call magic is this technology so advanced that we don't understand it. It's the same thing. Like, get the fuck out of here with that. Like, you, it, like, yes, they serve the same purpose, but I don't like the idea that magic is this technology that we don't understand yet. Like, right? Like, I mean, it gets I, it depends, it depends on your goals, right? So, like, if if for you in the fiction, the the magic is irrational and it's not part of the natural world, in the same way that like technology is then they sh- they can't be the same right but if 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 it's just like a some it's it's it has principles to it it's a, it's based in the natural world and it can be manipulated then it seems that just the rules of them are, are not understood yet in which case it would be te- technological <laughs> in nature okay i think that there's one good example that i can actually sit and talk about which is numenera where it's i think it's literally eight billion years in the future oh and there God. have been eight civilizations that have risen and fallen and, but it's all on the same earth. And so now there are like weird technologies from previous civilizations and there's like nanotech in the air and yeah. stuff like that. And people might think it's magic, but it's actually nanotech. And that's the, that's probably the best way that I've seen it used and utilized in terms of technology as magic. But beyond that, I'm, I really want them to be a separate thing or a different, because to me, what else, what, what's magic otherwise, right? Is it just the dying earth kind of approach where like magic is now this reclaimed technology that's not understood, but no, I I totally agree with your point that you lose a bit of the mystery or the mad, like the magic and magic. Like if it's Uh not, if it's, if it's not um, irrational, right? Like there's a, there's wonder that comes out of magic, just like in the unknown causes wonder in sci-fi. So like if magic is just advanced technology, you lose some of that wonder. And not only that, but if you want to talk about magic as technology, I mean, 
we can talk about the idea of soft magic versus hard magic again, yeah. because we've definitely already talked about it. But I, I think that when we add rules to magic, we're just creating a subsection of technology, aren't we? I mean, you're defining, you're giving it utility in the same way that technology has. Interesting. I did I... not expect us to talk about magic this much, but now I'm starting <laughs> to think about it. I'm like, huh, okay. I don't remember the book, but it was very important in my childhood, and it involved dinosaurs and people, like, coinciding, living next to them. Dinotopia. Was that oh, Dinotopia? That. Yeah. It's, it sounds like Dinotopia, but mm -hmm. continue. Yeah, but I remember that it went into detail in the book about how, like, technology was made to... Uh, Kind of help out the dinosaurs and also like so that the dinosaurs could communicate with the humans they had like their own alphabet and everything and yeah, uh I think it was just the i know it's not magic but it's kind of like how something clearly did not exist and how it blended seamlessly into a world that i uh oh so so now we're talking about the feeling of magic versus technology because that's very clearly just technology but to, to us, it feels magical as a result. Yeah, we don't got dinosaurs. Right. That's, that's, kinda, that's actually kind of interesting when you think about like the relationship between magic and technology in that way, right? Philosophical hour. <laughs> this is the type of shit that I love, though. Like, this is the type of stuff when you're like talking about, you know, fantasy and science fiction and everything like the roles that these play in our world and in our lives is, is important or not necessarily important, but fascinating to kind of sit and talk about. Oh, uh, one thing that I will point out is, and it's a big one and Daniel will probably go up against it at some point <laughs> is uh, I like it when the systems of magic have rules. I, maybe that's just a, a being a fan of like harder magic and everything, but I like when, the rules are established and they're not broken in the sense that, you know, you keep up with uh, your own canon, as it were. This way people don't go just like, well, that shouldn't happen. Yeah, that's about, um, I mean, partially that's about keeping the stakes consistent too, right? Like if you, yeah. if a reader can't anticipate how the magic functions, then they don't know what's at stake. Um, but I, I think it goes back to what Rob, Rob was talking about in terms of a spectrum of like soft magic to hard magic, just like in sci-fi, there's a spectrum of hard science fiction to soft. Um, and it all depends on how nitty gritty you get with the rules. You don't need to explain the little doctor. Yeah. Or you don't need to explain a, a medical droid in Star Wars, for example. Listen, she died because she had a broken heart. <laughs> I feel like if we want to talk about technology, like that, like Dr. Ball robot is probably an example of, wow, this technology sucks. <laughs> like, like they're rolling out like shit technology. It's like, oh yeah, we lost her because you know the early droids weren't that good. You know, like that. That's that's where I'm thinking of. You know, Why couldn't you get a lost. human doctor? <laughs> I mean, there's something implied by that setting. Like in general, you go, you have like the original three movies, and there's kind of a used um, feeling to the technology. You go back to the prequels, and there's they're all kind of shiny and new. And then I'm not even going to discuss the new movies because they're not real. But the in the uh, the you have a, a clear distinction between those two like modes of technology that reflect the progression of the story. To like in the prequels, things were shiny and new, and now they've fallen into disrepair. I think that's a really important point to bring up as well as the idea of technology and 
how it kind of ebbs and flows. And what what is weird though is that yeah, in in the prequel trilogy, it does feel like the technology there is shinier and newer. And I think that's a result of our own real world technology. To yes. Be able to <laughs> do it better. Right. But at the same time, I, I much prefer the original trilogies lived in feel because there is a certain level of reality to it where like speeder bikes are going to be dusty and grimy as fuck. Right. Because yep. they're going to be used all the time. And I think what does a great job of kind of, exploring that or at least showing that very very well is something like the mandalorian which conveys that you know one of my favorite things about that series first of all if you haven't seen it it's one of the best world building experiences you can ever go through especially if you're a star wars fan but you don't have to be and that's one of the fabulous things about it but one of my favorite things is dusty stormtroopers and what it says about the setting and what it says about so many things about that world. And, and I, I, I don't want to get into it any further beyond that, but like, I think I prefer the lived in reality of technology as opposed to the shiny prequel trilogy, you know? It might have something to do with the effectiveness of the storytelling. Cause I think that's what you're pointing to, to in, in the Mandalorian. Um, so like what one setting that does something similar to the Mandalorian is um, the book of the long sun, which is in the kind of dying earth genre um, where it's set far in the future. You got a bloated sun, you know, billions of years in the future. Um, and the technology is all um, indistinguishable from magic only because um he, the, the writer describes it in such a way that he makes it alien. So instead of describing like a laser gun, he gives it antiquated language so that, you know, when we engage with it, we're like, oh, I don't really understand this either. So you have the same experience that characters in the story feel. And that's the magic of like the work, which is, I think, kind of what the Mandalorian's doing when, you know, it shows you a setting that's been used up and it, you know, rekindles the feelings you had when you first saw like the original movies. Yeah. Oh man, we uh we really went all over the place in this episode. And uh, I is is this where we I mean, what else can we kind of discuss, right? Have we tapped the well in terms of technology or So, we actually didn't come up with any examples of technology. <laughs> what do you mean? We give you another one. We've, no, we've brought up multiple examples of technology. Well, I think he means a technology that the, the, the yeah that's not that's not ported over from our world in a way we can recognize but i guess everything would be i know yeah that's the problem yeah. well, <laughs> Cause no, even I... when i'm what go ahead because even when i'm talking about like our uh the the totally legally distinct star wars setting that we had <laughs> uh, my technology was mainly like shields that could block that magical blade mm-hmm well, I mean, there's ways we can talk about that make it super alien, though. Like, I had another one in my pocket that I can talk about that I think, like, takes that sword and makes it alien in a way that's not understood in our physical world. It's not portable. Um, like, I was thinking, and this goes back to the reading I was doing, like, um, in, you know, layman quantum physics world stuff. But I was thinking of, like, higher dimensional objects. And, and, and what that just means is there's, like, another direction that you can move in space other than, like, the three we're used to um, plus time. So, like, what if, you know, in that Mage Knight setting, the swords were made of, like, a higher dimensional material? 
So what that would mean is that, you know, if you stab with it, instead of it, you know, stabbing what's in front of you, it could stab something further away. Or maybe if you turn the hill, it moves in a dimension of time. So you can make an attack in the future. You know, that would be kind of rules breaking in a way that we're just not familiar with. So we have to reach to like the edges of even science to come up with stuff like that. But even so, I mean, why would they have weapons like that? We have to describe why it makes sense for their culture in order for it to make sense in the story. And I think, okay, first of all, Daniel, that's really brilliant. And that's, that's like, I'm chomping at the bit to get into this now. Cause it's so <laughs> fucking cool. But I think, head. <laughs> well, no, cause now you're talking about like using time and reality and space as, as something that we can now, you know, like mold and wield essentially. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's so a weird what, technology. Yeah. Right. And that's a technology that we currently don't have the, the ability to fuck with right now. And thus, what do we, what, what did we, what did I talk about? What are the two principles that comes to necessity and it comes to resources? So the resources where we're going to come into it and we're going to have this, you know, in this case, in our, in our legally distinct Star Wars <laughs> setting, we talk about the resource that is the crystal that allows us to manipulate the other, you know, kind of physical realities of our world. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about something that, Hey, I'm going to stab you in the future, you know, like, <laughs> you know, or, or I actually, call it the subtle stone. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually what you, you could even do something along the lines of look at Dr. Who, when you look at the weeping angels, you know, they steal your potential. They mm-hmm. steal your future life essentially. And you can do something similar to that or, or even like, um, in, uh, the scar, they have the guy who wields the impossible blade where, mm-hmm. Whenever he strikes at you, he literally strikes at every conceivable angle all at the same time. Yeah, see, that's really cool. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, that's breaking a rule that we don't conceive of being possible with technology right now. You know, I'm, I'm actually right. just picturing now a knife that steals days of your life, like every yeah. time that you swing it. Like to be to be fair, every knife is a knife that steals days of your life <laughs> you in the right place. <laughs> I like that. That's quite metaphorical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Damn. It's quite poetic. It's a time knife. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I, but I, I think that's actually one interesting place that we can really go because I'm not a science person necessarily. I'm the history guy. Like, I'm, I'm all about the historical aspect. I'm, of I'm it, the armchair but... quantum physicist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got your tweed jacket on and everything. Exactly. I'm Joe Everyman. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that we've, you know, really found concrete uh, roles in our podcast, finally. <laughs> uh, no, but, but I actually, I, I do kind of want to think about that, like, is I think that's the way to do it. I think that's the way that we can finish Daniel's prompt that he gave us where you want to talk about, you know, technologies that don't exist in our world. Well, why don't they exist? Because we don't have the manipulate, we don't have the material to manipulate them. And I think that by doing that, by focusing on, okay, well, we can manipulate time. We can manipulate space. We can manipulate all that stuff because we have this material that can do that. Imagine something that can literally warp time just by it being around us. You know, like you don't need a, you don't need a, a time stop device. You need like a, like a piece of material that stops time, that type of thing. 
you know, or a material maiden um, uh, that, that consists of an extra dimension of time, you know, that would do it. Yes, exactly. It's a work knife that slowly works itself back into a bar of iron. <laughs> oh, actually, th- that's not too bad. Imagine something that reverts, so, like you, you like reverse the timeline on something as you cut it, right? Like you're, like you're cutting into a tree and rather than getting cut, it's like reverting to a seed or reverting to a sapling or something like that. And then it just snaps in that area since it's younger and can't uh, hold up its weight. Exactly. Yeah. So same function, but you know, and how does that affect the world besides dramatically? (laughs) Again, this, it goes back to the point that Daniel made earlier where technology, the function of technology is to change the world in some drastic way. Oh, because it just made me think of like, because um, he said it doesn't, it's like almost like evolving backwards. That makes me think of like certain particles that they travel so fast that um, they, from our perspective, like they shouldn't exist as long as they do, but they do because they're dilating time, you know, which is pretty cool. Yes. Uh, or, or it's, uh, we're, we're drawing on, so, I, well, me, I'm, I'm drawing on so many different resources today, but it's like Futurama where the ship moves as fast as it does because it doesn't move. It literally u- moves the universe around. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Faster than okay. light travel is not possible, so it moves the universe around it. Exactly. What does that call it? I don't know how to pronounce it. Albusier Drive or Al, Al... I don't know how to pronounce his name. I, you're, you're, I, I don't have it in front of me, so I can't pronounce it. So. Quickly right. to right. Wikipedia. Yeah. I know. I've got to type real quick. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys type it out. I'm going to close the show because I, I feel like we've done a really great, consistent as a meaty episode. Like, I feel like that there's a lot of a lot of stuff in there that I'm I'm really a big fan of. Um, like, goddamn, that's really fun. Uh, yeah. So, OK, no one's typing. I thought we were going to in- interrupt me, but that's fine. <laughs> no, no. I... <laughs> Wait, we can use our phones. You can't see that. Just, just in the middle of him saying goodbye, shout the answer. <laughs> I <figured laughs> <Yeah>. out. <laughs> pronounce it. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, uh, as you guys Google that, I'm going to close out the show. This episode has been brought to you by loyal listener Daniel. If you want to suggest a topic for the show that you want to hear us ramble on about, you can go ahead and email us at worldbuildwithus at gmail dot com, or you can send a tweet or a DM to Let's World Build. And, you know, we'll give you full credit. We talk about cool stuff, you know, stuff like that. (laughs) And um, until next time, be safe, have a great week, and remember that we love you very much.